Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. I took the first two weeks of this year just to, um, just to have space in the schedule to really pray and ask the Lord, God, how do we start this year with you? How do we start 2014? I've never been somebody that's done a lot of, you know, resolutions or anything like that, but I really wanted to just ask God, God, before we launch into a series next week, we start a series on uh, the Lord's prayer, the, our father. And so we'll walk five weeks through every line in uh, the prayer. Jesus taught his disciples. I'm very excited about that. been preparing and thinking and praying about that for a while now. And so um, that's really exciting. But these previous last week and this week is really just some space in the schedule at City Church to ask the Lord, where should we focus this year? Uh, what are the spiritual principles and the things that we need to be centered on this year? And so if you were here last week, let me see your hand if you were here last week, here or at our other location. Good, a lot of us. If you were here last week, um, you know that uh, we talked about the gospel solution. And if you missed that, I really encourage you to grab the podcast and uh, you can get that at ourcitychurch.org and listen and kind of catch up because I feel like more than anything, that is the DNA and the core of who we are as a community, that we are centered and focused on the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. What I talked about last week is that Jesus Christ and the cross is the one solution for every condition in the soul of humanity. Now, that's a pretty audacious claim. That's a pretty audacious claim. And of course, you might say, well, Justin, my financial problem has nothing to do with Jesus or my issue at school and my chemistry class has nothing to do with Jesus or my struggle in my marriage has nothing to do with Jesus or my fears about the future have nothing to do with Jesus. But when you get down to the soul Deep in the core of who you are, the big questions of, am I right with this God that I don't see? Is he real and is he active in my life? The big questions of who am I and why am I here? Why do I look the way I look and think the way I think? The big questions of what am I supposed to be doing with my life? All of those questions find the substance of their answer at the cross. That's the gospel solution. One place where all those things come together. Today, what I want to talk about as we kind of take these two weeks and then next week launch into a series, what I want to focus on today is some of the implications of the gospel. That this truth, the truth of Jesus Christ on the cross, reconciling mankind to himself, breaking the barrier down between you and God, should produce a particular attitude in your world. You should be having a specific attitude that is coherent with the truth of the cross. And if that attitude doesn't infect your thinking, then I would contend that you probably haven't truly believed the good news of the cross. And so, you know, uh, close your mind for a second. I want you to mental picture time. Close your mind. Close your eyes for a second. Just uh, for a moment. Did I say close your mind? Don't close your mind. Close your eyes. Close, <laughs> close your eyes for a second. And uh, for a minute here, just, uh, just what pops into your head when you hear these words, change your attitude. I don't know about you. Maybe you see like your mom ticked at you. I don't know. You can open your eyes now. I don't know what popped into your head when you, when you heard those words. For me, I see, you know, a guy with like bright white teeth and like a spray on tan and like a thumbs up, you know, like I just see like the machine, the, the Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins, you know, like kind of like 50 years of American culture with all of this like self-help promotionism, you know, uh, and when you hear words like change your attitude, you, I, at least for me, I think of all of that type of stuff. Like, you know, listen, positive thinking, change your attitude, be a better you, you know, and all those ideas, you know, certainly I don't think they have evil intent, but, um, they don't work. 
Some of the you know, ideas I've been hearing recently from some of the positive thinkers in American culture who have made millions promoting this way of thinking is believe you are more than enough. Believe you are more than enough in 2014. We want you to believe that you're more than enough. Well, here's the problem. You're not more than enough. It's a lie. If you were more than enough, then there wouldn't have been a problem in the first place, right? You would have been able to access everything you needed, but you didn't. And so you are not more than enough. Another one I heard recently is know that no one is better qualified than you. That is such a lie. I mean, I don't want to break the news to you, but there are lots of people better qualified than you in virtually anything you do. I mean, it's true. There's people better qualified than me. There's people better qualified than you. It's just not true. Another one I heard recently was, remember, you are powerful. No, you're not. No, you're not. I mean, the truth is it doesn't matter how big your muscles are or how brilliant your brain is. A tiny little clog in one tiny little artery in your body will kill you. You're frail. And we can pretend that we're powerful and that we're the most qualified and believe that you're more than enough. But I don't know about you. It seems that in this culture and in this generation, those mantras are not ringing so true anymore. They don't speak to us the way that maybe they had in the past. All these slogans don't seem to be helping your soul. And yet you're battling with fear, depression, anxiety, lust, greed, and all the things that come with life. And these slogans don't have the substance to actually bring change. See, you don't need a new slogan in 2014. You don't need a new resolution that's going to help you, you know, hold on to a slogan. That's not what you need. Deep inside, you need truth. You need truth. You need truth about yourself. You need truth about God. You need truth about your mission. That's what you need. Truth. Deep inside, you need truth. One place where the Bible describes people It says, you are wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. Isn't that wonderful? Feel better about yourself now? We can all leave. Great. You're wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. It describes humanity as separated from God and absolutely and completely unable to get back to him. You can put makeup on the corpse, but it's not going to fix the problem. You are broken beyond repair. You are absolutely depraved when it comes to God. Now that may not sound like good news, but sin is deep down inside your bones. See, the moment that someone else gets promoted, what do you start thinking? Why not me? The moment that someone else has something you don't have that you want, what's the first thing you think? Well, I want that. I'd like to take theirs. The moment you get married and commit to someone, what are you thinking? Maybe I could have gotten a better choice here. You could fill in the gaps, but there's something crooked deep in your soul. Something crooked way deep down and it corrupts and distorts anything functionally good in you. This is why Jesus said in the beginning of his most famous sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom. What was he getting after, friends? He was trying to tell us that, listen, when you acknowledge your own spiritual poverty, that's a great place to start. When you acknowledge that you are poor in spirit, that you don't have it, that you don't, you know, you don't contain within yourself the ability to access God, that you need him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then the gospel, the good news, what that word gospel means, it's not a style of music with a lot of kick drum. You know, the gospel fundamentally just means good news, right? What the good news then declares makes sense that God sent his son. This is a crazy idea. I mean, we believe a crazy idea. 
That God sent his son. Emmanuel was the prophetic name that was given to him in the Hebrew. God with us. Jesus, meaning the Lord saves, right? And so God came to be with us. And then God revealed that through Christ, he would be for us eternally. When someone is for you, that means they desire your good in all circumstances. And what the scripture describes is a condition by which God has removed sin by hanging on a cross himself so that all of the wrath and judgment of sin could be placed upon him. And the holy God and the imperfect people would no longer be separated by this barrier that's deep in your bones but that barrier would be forever fully completely forgiven and washed away so that you could be reconciled perfectly for all time to a holy perfect god and now he could be for your good in everything this is scandalous this is not religion religion is based on how good i do how much money i give what i'm talking about today is the substance of real faith that christ comes to live in my heart and that's the third thing that he's with me that he's for me and the scripture believes that or speaks then we believe that he's actually now in me that he takes up residence in this jar of clay that this human frail body actually houses god that god lives in me this is the gospel Now, this beautiful gospel of Christ dying on the cross and resurrecting the third day, proving he'd conquered death on my behalf, must inform my attitude, my disposition, my temperament, my demeanor. And if it doesn't, then you don't actually believe it. So if you're walking around like the Grinch, saying that you believe in the good news, there's a disconnect there. If you're walking around always frustrated, if you're walking around always bitter... If you're walking around always trying to get back at someone, if you're walking around always anxious, if you're walking around always addicted, there's a disconnect between what you say you believe and what your soul has taken hold of. Because, right? Because our disposition, our attitude should be informed by the gospel. And I was praying about all this, and now I just want to share just a little bit of, of my world. You know, um, every year I kind of seek the Lord and I say, God, what's your word for the year? Not lying. He has never given me a word for the year. I mean, all my friends, it seems like they all have a word, you know, like, man, God just said justice for me this year, man. Like, that's cool. God just said, you know, love for me this year. I'm like, oh, cool. God didn't say anything about 2013 for me, you know, other than just keep, keep doing what you're doing, you know, get to it, you know. All right. Fair enough, God. And he speaks to me about other things, but I've just never had like the word of the year, you know, and I think it's, you know, it's fine. It's not like the Bible says God will give you a word of the year, you know, but, but I know there's probably people in the room that you got the word of the year. Well, this year I was like, Lord, I don't need a word of the year for the mission of my life. I know what you've called me to do, but maybe God, you could give me a word for this next 12 months about what you want to do on the inside of me. What do you want to do on the inside of me, God? I mean, the mission is awesome. I love that. But, but what do you want to do on the inside of me, God? And I felt like the Lord spoke to me something really specific. This is back in the 12 days ago. And, uh, and then he, he really pressed on me that I could preach it to you today. And um, when I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, now when, if you're new to this, let me explain something. I didn't, I didn't hear an audible voice, although I think it would be awesome if I did. I felt an inward impression, all right? An inward impression. And the longer I've followed God, the more I've discerned that inward impression has brought me on some crazy journeys. As God speaks to my spirit. And, the, and God spoke to my spirit and he said to me, I want to teach you to habitually live in the attitude of faith. And I thought, yeah, 
It resonated. I was like, yeah, I need to learn that. You ever been in the room when a person of great faith walks in the room? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I remember years ago, I was at a conference in Germany, and uh, one of the great evangelists of our age, Reinhard Bonnke, this amazing evangelist, walked in the room. And as soon as he stepped on stage, this man has seen millions of people meet Jesus, seen every type of miracle from blind eyes open to the lame walking, every type of supernatural thing, all verified. It's amazing. And he's got a great anointing for God. And he walked in the room. And as soon as he walked in the room, he's just a guy, just a man, but he carried this attitude of faith. He's a sinner. He's busted up and broken like you and me. But there was something about him that just, get, you know, had this attitude of faith. And he walked in the room. And as soon as he walked in, I was just like, something's going to happen today. Something's going to, ha- I don't know what, but something's going to happen today. Something came alive in the room. One of the great guys that, uh, that discipled me, his name's Bob Weiner. And he would walk in the room and literally he would come in the room and he's a short little guy and he would walk in the room. And as soon as he walked in the room, like my faith was like, stand up straight. Bob's here. Something crazy is going to happen. You know, your, your faith just, just jumped, just, just developed, just grew. Um, I remember hearing a while ago about George Whitfield, one of the great revivalists of the 1700s, led thousands of people to Christ in America. And one onlooker said he looked like he was clothed with the authority from the great God. He walked with a certain demeanor. What is that? It's the attitude of faith. If you have a Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 28. I want to give you some illustrations, some pictures of this attitude today, because I believe that this year in your life needs to be marked by an attitude of faith. It's the implication of the gospel. The implication of the gospel is that I operate from an attitude of faith. And look how it infected some of Jesus' followers after he rose from the dead. Let me give you a little backstory on Acts chapter 28. If you're new to the Bible, there's this individual spoken of much in the New Testament named Paul. Okay, his name was Saul. He changed it to Paul. He was a great persecutor of the church. In that time, he was working with the religious leaders to arrest Christians, okay? And so he was throwing them in prison, usually under the guise of the uh, the, the accusation that they were raising themselves, uh, or Jesus, above Caesar, which was illegal, uh, you know, in any uh, province of Rome. And so he, they, he was arresting Christians because they said Jesus was king, right? And so he's doing that, but now he has this encounter with Jesus and everything changes for this guy, Paul, in just a moment's time. And he literally is transformed from a guy who's persecuting Christians to a guy who is following Jesus. And throughout his life, he plants many churches. And then toward the end of his life, he feels God leading him to go to Jerusalem. Now, everybody that knew him knew that was bad news because there were a lot of religious leaders in Jerusalem trying to kill him. Sure enough, he goes to Jerusalem and they attempt to kill him and he escapes being killed. But in the midst of that, a riot starts and they throw Paul in jail. And because the system was corrupt and the government wasn't working properly. He sat in jail for two years with no, you know, particular, you know, crime against him just sitting in jail. And so here's this guy who's following God, who felt led to Jerusalem, right? I feel like God called me to Jerusalem. He goes there, he gets thrown in jail and then he goes through a trial and then another trial and then another trial. And then he finally gets shipped off to Rome to appeal before Caesar, right? And he's shipped off to Rome on a boat full of convicts. So how would you be feeling in that moment? You tried to obey God, right? And you thought he was going to get you a big house and a hot wife, but instead he got you jail, right? And here you are in jail. And so you're sitting in jail for two years. Is that how it's supposed to work sometimes? Yeah. 
And so you're sitting in jail for two years with no trial, and then you get shipped off on this boat, a slave boat, a boat of criminals. And so in the midst of the boat, you know, if things couldn't get any worse in that moment, the, 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 uh, the waves start to pick up, the wind starts to kick, and all of a sudden the boat is smashing up against some rocks. And so now everybody on the boat is jumping off the boat and swimming to shore. They get to shore and they get surrounded by natives. Awesome, right? This is great. Thanks a lot, God. And so now they're surrounded by natives. And he says, you know, I'm wet, I'm cold. I'm, you know, I'm surrounded by natives. And, 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 and these guys, I don't know if they're going to eat me or if they're going to help me. But they decide, let's build a fire here on the beach to try to warm up since we just, you know, got out of the water. And, and, and so he's collecting wood to build a fire. And in the midst of that, he gets bit by a snake. He gets bit by a poisonous snake. Awesome, right? And so now, picture this for a moment. Imagine yourself here. God calls you to Jerusalem. You get thrown in prison. You spend two years there. You get shipped to Rome. Your ship crashes. You get schlepped up on shore. Now you're on shore. You get bit by a snake. What are you feeling? My hand is throbbing, right? It's red. It's starting to puff up. The natives are staring at me, waiting for me to keel over. What's your attitude towards God? I mean, what's your attitude? I would suggest this morning... That in the midst of those circumstances, it would be very easy to embrace what I would call an attitude of lack. God, we just, I thought you were going to come through and you left me in jail. And I thought I was going to, you know, get at least get safely to Rome. But now I'm stuck here and I thought you were going to protect me, but I got bit. What's up with that? And I thought, you know, I thought all this stuff was going to work, but it didn't seem to work. I thought you were my healer and now I'm sick and I've got this, you know, bite in my hand. And, I, you know, what's going on here, God? It would be easy to embrace an attitude of lack. But what I'm seeing here in the Apostle Paul's response, which we'll just read in a second, is that somehow the gospel became more real to him than his circumstance. And it informed his attitude. And he operated in the midst of a very difficult circumstance from an attitude of faith. Look at what verse 5 says. It says this. He, however, that's Paul, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. So right away, he's operating in faith, right? He's operating in faith and he's saying, no, I'm not going to get sick. Nothing's going to happen to me. And then look what happens in verse seven. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius. I don't know if I said that right. Who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him and healed him. Hold on a second. This is crazy. This is crazy. You've got the guy, you've got the guy who is enslaved, wet, cold, homeless, prisoner. It's going up to the king's father and saying, excuse me, you think I could pray for him? I mean, what was he thinking in that moment? What was the king's father thinking in that moment? Like you, a prisoner, a wet, cold, nasty prisoner, you want to pray for my father? And something inside of Paul didn't see himself as a wet, cold prisoner. Instead, he said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm an heir of the kingdom of God. I'm a son of God, the father himself. I've been adopted into God's divine family. My identity is rooted in him and I'm on a mission to bring God's glory to every corner of these, this earth. And so let me bring it to your father right now. That's how Paul saw things. Look what happened. Verse nine. And when he had taken, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Now they got a party and they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So what we see here in this passage is that Paul goes from a prisoner bit by a snake around a fire, soaking wet to the man amidst a revival on this island where people are getting healed. People are giving their lives to Jesus and they're leaving with more than they got there with. That's what happened. How did it happen? The attitude of faith. 
The attitude of faith. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to give you a couple more examples. Acts chapter 3. You guys tracking with this so far? Okay, good. Acts chapter 3. Verse 1. We'll start in verse 1. This is the story of Peter. Another one of Jesus' early followers. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried. Whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. Which is called the beautiful gate. To ask alms of those entering the temple. So you've got basically a homeless guy who's sick. He, he, uh, he can't walk for whatever reason. And he hangs out right at the gate of the church there. The temple. Right? In verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. He asked to receive, to receive alms. Right? And so they're about to go in. Have you ever been interrupted by someone? Never? Your whole life? My kids have the spiritual gift of interruption. It's amazing. I've learned that you really don't have to teach children to interrupt you. They, they learn that naturally, right? So I'll be on the phone, and two of them will walk in at the exact same time and just start talking to me. I'll be talking with my wife. This one happens all the time. And they'll come running in. One will be talking about Legos. One will be talking about the backyard. And they don't even re- realize that I'm already communicating with someone. And it's impossible for the four of us to communicate at the same time on three different issues. You know, like, we can't do that, right? And so they'll just run in and just start doing it. You know, just start interrupting. And I remember I used to prep my sermons at home and we, we changed that. One of the reasons was that my kids would keep interrupting and I'd be in there and I'd be like, kids, stop interrupting. I'm trying to learn about Jesus. Stay out there. You know, and it was like, eh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Yeah. Not exactly setting a good example. And so, you know, I don't anymore, but interruption is a frustration. And so these guys get interrupted. They get interrupted by this guy. They're about to go into the temple and they're about to go in at a specific time. I don't know if you noticed that it said it's the hour of prayer. I hate being late to things. Does anybody else hate being late to things? Half of you are liars. You were late to church today. All right, just kidding. I love you. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just, you know, we got a little fun, right? I hate being late to things. I hate, I have this mental crisis when I'm late for things. Because in one hand, I'm like, you know, if I'm late, I broke my word. I said I'd be there at 3. I'm going to be there at 310. And I feel bad because I broke my word. But at the same time, now I've got to break the speed limit to get there on time, which is breaking the law. So do I break my word or do I break the law? And I have these conversations with God in my car. Welcome to my life. And I'm like, God, I think I should break the law this time. What do you think? You know, and I go back and forth because I don't want to break my word. And, and it, it is a tension. You know, it's tough. It's tough to know what to do when you're late. And so here they are going into the hour of prayer at a specific time, right? It dings and the hour starts and you want to be there when it starts. They're about to walk in and now they get interrupted. It's easy in our life, especially in this world that we live in today, to operate not from an attitude of faith, but just an attitude of rushed. I want to go here. I got to go there. We got to get there. I'll get the kids and move over this. And then we got to get over there. Oh, you know, we're late for this. And, and, And we move so quickly that you don't notice that in your peripheral vision, there are things God wants you to do that you're completely ignorant of. The attitude of rushed. These individuals don't embrace that attitude. Look at what happens here. Verse four, Peter directed his gaze at him as John did and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He thinks he's going to get money. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what 
what happened to him. Now, if you read the story a little bit further, you find that Peter and John never attended the hour of prayer. They missed their appointment. They never got to the hour of prayer because when they got into the temple, this guy caused such a ruckus that they had opportunity to preach about Jesus and a bunch of people gave their lives to Christ and then they get thrown in prison and then God miraculously gets them out and then all of Jerusalem is buzzing with the Jesus, Jesus, Jesus that Peter and John talk about. And so what we see here, and this is a crucial revelation for this year, is that the attitude of faith, when you're in a hurry, will always accomplish more than the attitude of rushed. That if you would just say, you know what? I'm not going to rush right now. I'm not going to push around and forget about God. I'm going to maintain an attitude of faith in the midst of this inconvenience. And if you would do that, you would find that you would accomplish far more with the attitude of faith than you would rushing around. This year, 2014, God's talking to me about learning not to rush, about learning not to think lack but instead to operate from an attitude of faith. 1 Samuel chapter 17, last example here. Probably the most well-known story in the Old Testament, one of the most well-known. It's when a young shepherd boy kills a huge giant, right? You've heard the story before, and if you know the story, you know that, um, you know that uh, you know, David was an unlikely hero, right? And so David, in the midst of this story, you know, he um, he's already been anointed king by the most prominent person in Israel at the time, Samuel. But it's a secret anointing. People don't know that he's supposed to be king. God's got to do it. And so there's still another king, right? The other king's name is Saul, not the same Saul we just learned about, a different Saul. And so another guy's, you know, king, and David is just a shepherd boy. And in the midst of that, he has a pretty consistent routine. He takes care of sheep and he runs errands for his dad. Takes care of the sheep, runs errands for his dad. I don't know if you've ever had a job where you kind of just do the same thing every day. Maybe you've had a job like that. You know, and it kind of becomes a routine for you, you know, like the UPS guys. If you ever try to have a conversation with a guy that's working for UPS, it's, it's a little difficult because they're in their routine. You know, and it's like, hey, how's it going? It's going good. I'm going to the next house. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Will you sign this, please? Hey, how's it going? It's fine. Can you, can you get out of my way? Because I got the next place to go. They have a routine. They're doing their thing. If you exercise, you know, you probably have a routine. You put in your headphones and you just get in your own little world. You know, and you're just kind of chinga, 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 doing your thing. And, and you kind of, you know, forget that there's other humans around you. In fact, I would say that our culture, we are experts at slipping into our own routines. And so your job has its routine or your home has its routine and you just kind of go through this routine, don't you? And as you're going through the routine, it's easy to disconnect from the world around you and no longer see the opportunities that God has put before you. And you get into an attitude of me. What am I doing? What's my next step? What's the next thing I'm doing? I got to finish this class. I got to finish this paper. I got to do this thing. I got to run over there. I got to go to this. And you get in this attitude of me. What we see in David is the very high potential of the attitude of me. He's just running errands for his dad. He's doing his thing. But in the midst of that, he steps in and hears about a warrior who's mocking God. And he's not about to let that happen. So listen to the attitude of faith that David displays here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read verse 32. 
Speaking to the king Saul now, David said to Saul, let no man's heart be failed because of him, Goliath. Your servant will go fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, he took a lamb that took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. It's pretty legit. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Why? For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. What does that sound like to you? It sounds to me like the attitude of faith. And it was so contagious that Saul is looking at a teenage shepherd boy, but he sees something in him that's so profound that he says, Okay, go, do it. Then David stands before the Philistines, skip down to verse 47, and look what he says. He says this out loud for everybody here, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And of course, you know the story. David kills Goliath, becomes, is married to the king's uh, daughter, and then becomes the, 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 uh, the commander of the king's army, and is launched into his destiny because he had an attitude of faith. Paul saw faith. When he was sitting on a deserted island instead of lack. Peter saw faith instead of rushing into the temple to pray and do his routine. David saw faith instead of self-interest just dropping off the things his dad wanted him to drop off and move on. If you want to write something down, write this down this morning. The attitude of faith is the living awareness that I have the grace, check this out, to bring God's kingdom into this situation. The attitude of faith is the living awareness that I have the grace to bring God's kingdom into this situation. The attitude of faith is the living awareness. It's a divine awareness. It's an awareness in life. This is what the Lord's been teaching me. And this is what I believe God wants to challenge you with this morning. Is an attitude where you operate, whether you're at work or you're at school or you're with family or with friends, you're out to lunch. An attitude of faith is a living awareness that I've got opportunity right here, right now to bring God's kingdom into this situation. Some of you guys have heard this story before. Just a while ago, months ago now, I was, uh, I was at a... Um, the library, just doing some work at the library, and I needed chemicals for my hot tub in my backyard. I need some, you know, um, some uh, chlorine. And so I Googled on my phone. I looked for a chemical place, place you could buy pool supplies. I shoot over to this pool supply store, and when I walk into the store, I sense the Holy Spirit say, you need to talk to these people about Christ. And I thought, God, I'm here to get pool chemicals. I'm here to get back to my house. My wife's waiting for me. We got to make lunch. We got things to do. I got the attitude of rush kicking in, right? I got things to do, God. Focused on me. I'm doing my routine. And as I get back into my car, I realize to myself that the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to believe that I'm going to do something supernatural through you right now. And so like an awkward dude, I get back out of my car and I go back into the pool supply store and I say to the lady behind the desk, I know I was just in here. I'm sorry um, that I am here again, but I think I'm supposed to just pray for you. And if there's, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'd love to pray for you and talk with you about Jesus if that's something you're open to. And, you know, here I am just awkwardly at the desk. And she's like, you got to be kidding me. She leaves to go get the manager. I'm like, crud. <laughs> it's getting even more awkward, right? She comes back out, happens to be her husband, who was the manager of the store. And they talk to me for a while, and I pray for them. Next week, they came to City Church. A couple weeks ago, he just got baptized. <laughs> Friends, 
Yeah, that was a good place to really clap, by the way. That was like a, that was like a, yes, that's amazing. Oh, like that was a good one. See, the attitude of faith, it's this awareness that you and I can live with that I have the grace to bring God's kingdom into this situation. It's at Chili's, you know, when you're eating some food. It's at the gas station when you're pumping some gas. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. You have the opportunity. It's when you get home and your kids are freaking out and they're running all around you. You have the grace to say, you know what? Let me drop God's kingdom right into this situation. Let me begin to operate from a different paradigm, from a place of peace, because it's up there peaceful, even though it's chaotic down here. Let me operate from a place of healing, because up there, there's no one sick, and no one broken, and no one bound. And down here, it's chaos, but I'm going to infuse some faith into this situation to see God begin to do something supernatural. Let's act today with an attitude of faith, a confidence that God is with me, that God is for me, that God is in me. See, the gospel, the good news of Christ should always produce a particular attitude in you. And if you say you believe that Christ died for your sins, that he rose again, that he lives in your heart, what would it look like if you actually acted like that was true? Like God lives in me. Think about it. God lives in me. Well, temptation comes, but I have an attitude of faith that the God who's perfect dwells in me and gives me authority over temptation. Well, anxiety comes. I have an attitude of faith that whether I live and die in this life, he has eternally set my place for all time. Well, fear comes. Well, I have an attitude of faith that the God who said I'll never leave you or forsake me really will never leave me or forsake me. And whether I feel him or not, he is right next to me. This is the attitude of faith. This is the essence of what propels the Christian life beyond any other human existence. It's the attitude of faith. What attitude will define your life? Right now, right here, think about it. What attitude will define your week? What attitude will define your year? What attitude will define today? When you balance your checkbook or you look at your finances, you realize there's not enough there. When you uh, deal with your uncle, your aunt who's sick or in condition that you don't have answers for. What attitude? A couple weeks ago, I was, um, I was just flipping through an old picture book. I don't know if you guys have like, remember when people used to take pictures and used to have like the pictures, used to go and get them developed? I know nobody does it anymore, but, and then you buy those, those picture books with like those sticky papers, remember? And like, and you put the things in, you... You put it back down. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, some of you guys remember these things. Some of you have like stacks of these things in your basement, you know, full of these pictures and everybody's thinner and everybody's, you know, looks different. And, and so anyways, I was looking through one of the picture books that I have that somebody gave me and set up for me. And, and I came across a picture of myself at age eight. Now, my son is seven. And so, you know, it was kind of cool to go look back. And, and, I, and I took the picture out of the sticky paper book thing and I put it on my desk and it's been hanging out there for weeks now. And it's just a picture that when I saw it, it spoke to me. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you, something talks to you. And I think we have that. Can you guys throw the picture up there for me? Here we go. Wait, don't take it off yet. Thank you. Those were legit back then. So over here, this is my brother and this is my best friend, Wild Will Corso. And, and, uh, you know, I was at a camp with my friends and at this camp, there was this rope swing that was just terrifying. And, uh, you know, everybody was a little timid to do it. Some of the kids just wouldn't do it at all. And it just swung out real far and then came back in. And I remember that for whatever reason, I felt compelled to try this rope swing. I wasn't always the most daring kid by any means. But for for whatever reason, I tried this rope swing and I just grabbed it and I just swung out on that thing. And, you know, somebody snapped a picture just at the, like, most amazing moment 
in my swing. You can take that off the screen now. And I saw that picture. And I thought to myself, I want that to be the story of my life. You know, I want to live my life from this attitude of faith that when I'm walking in and there's the crippled guy there, I have enough awareness to stop. And when I'm stepping out and everything's going wrong, I have enough awareness to change the atmosphere and see it all turned around for God's glory. I want to live my life with the attitude of faith. One of the great champions of the gospel, Catherine Booth, co-founder of the Salvation Army, an amazing preacher, amazing woman of God. She said one time, actually in her last address, her last sermon before she passed away, she said these words, if we are to better the future, we must disturb the present. Somebody has to step in with an attitude of faith and change the environment. And then she said this, she finished her talk with this. Those of us who have acted upon the gospel so much as to give up the greater portion of our lives to the service of God, when we come face to face with eternity and look back on the past, what will be our regret that we have done so much? Oh no, that we have done so little, that we have not acted upon it to a greater extent, that we've not let the God of eternity be the all-absorbing theme of our lives, that we have wasted our energy and time and strength on less important things. Friend, take Take these words home to your closet and ask the Spirit of God if they are so. Lay them upon your hearts and go forth bringing fruit accordingly. May God bless and help you. And may we meet again at the right hand of the throne for Jesus' sake. Amen. And with those words, she walked off the stage as 2,000 missionaries that had come from all over the world to hear her speak, clapped and believed God for the miraculous. And very shortly after that, she stepped into that next realm and she stood by the throne of Jesus. When you walk into your office this week, what's your attitude going to be like? Oh, well, the coffee was too cold and, and the guy showed up late. And, and, you know, what's your attitude going to be like? When you, you know, walk across campus this next semester, when you're cooking dinner and your kids are screaming or this is happening, when you're watching a football game, when you're getting that phone call that no one ever wants to get, when you're sitting on the bedside, by the bedside of a family member or friend who's sick or in the hospital, what disposition will define your life? Would you stand on your feet with me this morning? Band can come up. We're going to sing in just a second. I think it would be amazing for us this morning here to make a declaration, a personal declaration. A personal declaration of an attitude of faith. that says, you know what, God, for a long time I've been unbelieving. You know what, God, for a long time I've been content with less. You know what, God, for a long time, I've been afraid. But I'm going to believe that this year, 2014, is going to be a year where I embrace an attitude of faith. Where my default disposition is to believe God. Where my default disposition is to let the gospel fuel my life. That when you feel far away, I say, oh, no, 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 no. He's not far away. God is with me. Because I believe in Christ. It's not based upon my merit. It's based upon his perfection. He's with me. And when you feel like, you know, he's against you because all type of chaos is breaking loose in your life, you say, that's not true, actually. God is for me. He's for me because his glory and my good run together. In other words, it's for his glory that he blesses me. When he blesses me, it, more, it glorifies him more. And so he desires to bless me abundantly. So I believe that he's for me. 
And when you feel empty, when you feel alone, you pause and say, that's actually not true because God is in me. He's in me. An attitude of faith fueled by the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you invade this room right now. God, we ask that your presence would be here right now, tangibly with us. Father, we invite you. God, I know that there's people in this room that are far from you. And God, I pray that more than a song or more than words of a man could ever do, I pray that the spirit of Jesus would start to talk to them right now. God, thinking that sin will be more fun than following God, thinking that uh, you know doing it their way will be more functional than doing it your way. God, all the lies that we're so apt to believe. God, I pray in Jesus' name that right now you start to pierce through those lies and that you bring today to a place of reconciliation with God. Every person that's far from you, I pray that today would be their day to turn to you, to surrender their life, to experience grace and the forgiveness of sins. And God, for all of us here, every follower of Christ here, you know we're broken and frail. You know that we're imperfect. And we come to you this morning, not because we're perfect, but because we need you. And we choose right now to step out on the water, to step out and believe in a God who is bigger than any circumstance in our lives. Father, today we forsake the attitudes of lack, the attitudes of me, the attitudes of rushed, and all the different things that would try to pervade our thinking, and we embrace an attitude of faith today. Father, not just for the day, but for this year, Lord, may our year be defined by an attitude of faith. We welcome your presence right now. Talk to us, even as we sing it up to you in faith. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. Visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.